Welcome back to Fault Lines with Nixon Stranahan on 105.5 FM and 1390 AM in Washington, D.C. On every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. We have with us now Dr. Michael Neverdakis, host of Dialogos Radio and contributor to Mint Press News. Good morning, Dr. Neverdakis. Welcome to Fault Lines. Good morning. Uh, glad to be back. You know, by the way, doctor, I got to say, I, I, I was hoping we could get together. I was in Europe and the schedule didn't allow it. You you offered, and I just want to say thank you for the offer. And uh, next time in Europe, which I don't know that will be, right. could be another 15 next years. Next week or so, you know, but, but, I think a week from Monday. But, yeah, it was it was unfortunate. I just had such a packed schedule I wasn't able to do it, but thanks for the invite. And after we talk about oh. the fires a little bit here, I want to make sure we talk a little bit about uh, some of the situations going on in Europe. But let's talk about the fires. We have these big wildfires in California right now. And they've sort of taken over the news cycle. What's the update on these deadly Greek fires that we reported on last week? Well, the two major fires that were on either side of Athens uh, have uh, been out now for about a week. The damage was done last Monday into last Tuesday, but uh, that damage was quite severe. We're talking already about at least 92 people who have officially been confirmed dead. There's an, there was, at least as of yesterday, an official missing count, I believe, of 25 people, but there's many who believe that the number of missing is actually much larger than 25 and that the government is downplaying these numbers. And we're talking about thousands of structures that have uh, been destroyed. Uh, well, now I understand there's some articles coming out now where the Greek prime minister ex- is accepting responsibility for the high death toll. How's that? You know, because after things like this happen, then people start looking around at various public figures, what could have been done, what wasn't done, how, who acted fast. Why is the Greek prime minister accepting responsibility? Well, I think that the Greek prime minister is feeling fierce criticism from the public because there were, there have been many, many allegations and claims <clears throat> that the recovery efforts were botched, were not done in a proper manner. And what I should point out here about uh, the claim of responsibility on the part of Alexis Tsipras, the Greek prime minister, is that constitutionally a claim of political responsibility is accompanied by resignation, and yet Tsipras hasn't resigned, none of his government ministers have resigned, and not only have they not resigned, but there have been several uh, high-ranking members of the Syriza government that have come out and have quite arrogantly said, why should we resign? We haven't done anything wrong. And I'll give an example. The vice president of the Greek uh, parliament by the name of Zuraris came out and said, you know, uh, I wouldn't resign. There's no reason to resign. And uh, the people are at fault for the tragedy. And uh, my opinion is the only correct opinion. Those were his actual words in a radio interview. Now, what he means by the people are at fault, and this is something that several other government ministers have said as well, is that a lot of these areas had burned particularly to the east of Athens, which is where the deaths were recorded. This was the deadlier of the two fires. A lot of those areas had many buildings that were Uh, that had been constructed illegally at some point without building permits, without being part of any sort of zoning code or anything. 
And the government is now using that to say, well, you built illegally, it's your fault. But the, the issue without argument, aside from just being flat out insensitive, is that this current government has legalized many of these dwellings, has added many of those areas to the uh, actual urban plan over the past uh, three and a half years that they've been in government. And once they've done that, of course, they're collecting property taxes, they're collecting utilities from these properties, and that gives the government an obligation to provide the proper infrastructure uh, for fighting fires, for keeping the roads clear, providing fire hydrants and so forth. And in many cases, in many of these areas, this was not the case. So the government is, on the one hand, you have Tsipras finally, after several days, accepting political responsibility, but without consequences. No one has resigned. He hasn't resigned. And at the same time, we have many members of the government in Tsipras's cabinet who are trying to shift blame onto the people. Well, and it's also kind of absurd, as though as, as, as though the natural world would pay attention to a permit, as though a fire, as though if there was just a permit hanging in the house, if they only had a permit, yes. if they'd done it legally, that the fire would have creeped up to the edge of the yard and stopped and went, oh, whoa, whoa, this house is permitted. I'll go over to that one. That's an illegal structure and burn that one. The legal structures, the fire is going to somehow skip those. That's the absurdity of this argument to some extent, isn't it? Yes, it is absurd. You know, fire is indiscriminate. And uh, the the communities that were uh, that that were affected by these fires had both legal and illegal dwellings. And uh, I'll give another example about the, the the government's response to the fires. There have been many allegations, for instance, that the main thoroughfare uh, heading into and out of that region it's called Marathon Avenue, and, and it's and it's a four lane highway that was reconstructed. Uh, right before the Olympic Games in 2004, this uh, this highway was closed around 6 p.m. on Monday, the day of the fires, and nobody can understand where this order to to shut down the highway came from, why this order came. Um, but what ended up happening is that motorists who were trying to escape the area as the fire was approaching and it was very close by by 6 p.m. Um, they were redirected to a region called Mati. And Mati is a region that has basically just one very narrow road leading in and out. It's kind of a dead end. And motorists got stuck there. There, there were the, the fire surrounded Mati on both sides. And there was only one way in, one way out. That road was blocked. So a lot of the deaths, most of the deaths, in fact, happened in Mati. And it seems that many of the deaths were preventable because motorists were redirected to Mati and they could have been directed somewhere else. No one understands, therefore, why the Marathon Highway was uh, was shut down. And no one seems to be taking responsibility for this other than some claims that have been heard that this decision actually somehow saved lives. I don't know how they can justify that, but the, that's a claim that I heard recently. Oh boy! So yeah, that sounds like that sounds like that's the big the, the big story. Finding out who did, who made the decision to shut the high, a four lane highway down and redirect them back to a, that sounds like that's the big one right there. Um, right, they were redirected back into a death trap, basically. Oh boy. Well, you know, maybe they had potholes or something to fill, and so they figured we'll lose tens of <laughs> lives, but at least the potholes will be fit. You know, who knows how the government thinks at times. Uh, I did want to ask you, there's been a lot going on in Turkey lately, and I know that, you know, over the, time, uh, over the years, Greece and Turkey have had some issues in their relationships. What is the 
belief, what is the feeling now towards what's going on in Turkey with Erdogan, with his recent election, consolidating power, et cetera? How, how are the Greeks feeling now? What's the what's the, the you know, the, the murmur in Greece about Turkey and Erdogan? Well, even before the fires, there have been a lot of concerns that um, after Erdogan's re-election and his consolidation of power, that this will have negative consequences for Greece, that Erdogan will become even more aggressive towards Greece. Uh, I remind the listeners that uh, invasions of uh, Turkish uh, fighter jets and uh, Turkish naval vessels into Greek airspace and into Greek maritime waters have already been for many, many years a daily occurrence in the Aegean Sea. Also, most of the migrants that are brought into Greece are being brought into Greece through Turkey. And in fact, Turkey is facilitating the uh, trafficking of the migrants into Greece and then, of course, into the rest of Europe. So there's concerns that all of this will continue and will increase. I remind the listeners also that Turkey continues to occupy uh, almost 40 percent of the island of Cyprus in violation of several uh, United Nations votes and resolutions. And I'll say this, a, a, rec a recent statement was made by a close advisor to Erdogan saying that Greece would be better off if it was part of a new Ottoman Empire. Uh, rather than being a part of the European Union. So that, you know, regardless of how one feels about the European Union, that is a very, very aggressive uh, statement to make. Yeah, now, see, however I feel about the European Union, I like it better than the Ottoman Empire. You know what's interesting? That's, yes. <laughs> you know what, what, what you said just kind of rung a bell for me? Because the discussion has been three things. Number one, will Erdogan, you know, stay with NATO? Will he become part of some kind of a coalition with Russia? NATO wants to be, I mean, uh, Erdogan wants to be kind of like the head Muslim of the men on the street, you know, the leader of the Muslim world. And you just brought up another possibility. And that it makes a lot of sense with, a, with someone like Erdogan is, you don't want to be part of a Russian coalition, doesn't want to be part of a U.S. Co of, of, of a NATO coalition. Erdogan wants a new Ottoman Empire, and he wants his he wants his own empire to challenge all the other ones. With the kind of the way this guy seems to think, that kind of makes more sense than any of them, doesn't it? It does make sense, and I think also if you consider recent events in Greece, Erdogan might be hinting at certain things. Uh, there's murmurs, uh, since you asked this question before, there are murmurs in Greece that the blame for the fires may end up being cast on Erdogan and his government. And before, I, before anyone says this sounds far-fetched, there was actually an admission by a former prime minister of Turkey, I believe it was Mesut Yilmaz in the 90s, uh, he had claimed back then, he later recanted this, but he had claimed that Turkish secret service agents actually lit many of the big fires that hit Greece in the 1990s. So there's rumors from some favorable towards the Greek government newspapers that the finger might be pointed to Turkey and then by extension might be pointed to Russia as well. Now, another thing is, going back to er to the statement by Erdogan's advisor, the European Union really has not been very helpful towards Greece at all during this uh, emergency with the fires. I believe the only help that has come in officially has been um, a couple of firefighting planes from Spain and uh, 50 firefighters that were sent in from Cyprus. But we did have, for instance, a statement from the former prime minister of Sweden, Carl Bildt, uh, 
who said that we are sending aid to Greece, period, again, period. So, you know, when you hear statements like that, it uh, does provide fertile ground for someone like Erdogan or one of his advisors to turn around and say, well, look at how the European Union is treating you. You'd be better off with us. So, you know, considering all of the geopolitical developments in the region recently, uh, these statements really shouldn't come as a surprise. I think they're all part of the same um, chess match that's going on. We're talking to Dr. Michael Neverdakis a frequent guest in the show who we enjoy having on. Now, now, Dr. Neverdakis, let me ask you a question. This is going to sound insane at first, but I'm going somewhere with it. Have you seen The Simpsons? Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. See, it sounds insane so far, right, Garland? But here's, so far. Here's what I'm getting at. So, you know, on The Simpsons, there's the rivalry between Springfield and Shelbyville. Right. They hate each other, right? Now, I, th I think that's interesting because it's a fictional... It points out something real. They're, what they're getting at there is that there's these rivalries that you don't know about. Often when you move to an area, like I grew up in, in uh, near Springfield, Massachusetts, like East Longmeadow and Longmeadow have a football rivalry. No one knows that. No one cares. It's Springfield versus Shelbyville. Does that make sense? Right, right, right. Now, the reason I bring this up, Dr. Neverdakis, is when I was in Europe, I noticed something. And tell me if I'm right or wrong about this. There seems to be, an, and, and that Springfield-Shelbyville rivalry, part of it is like, oh, those idiots in Shelbyville. You know what I mean? Like, that's the way in Springfield right. yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. them. Those idiots in Shelbyville, those, they make Shelbyville jokes or whatever. Here's what I noticed, Dr. Neverdakis. I noticed there seems to be a rivalry between, I will call it the Western Central European countries. And maybe the Northern European countries, too. So that's Scandinavia, that's Norway, Finland, England, France, against what they refer to as South Europe, Southern Europe, which would include Greece, Italy. And they kind of, the, the tone I picked up in Europe was basically those Cretans, those idiots in Shelbyville. Does that make sense? Right, right, right. So yes. is, is that a real thing? Did I pick, am I... Am I too Simpsons crazed or am I picking up on some sort of bias when they talk about Southern Europe, which includes, like I say, Italy, it seems like France, uh, that that sort of thing. It's, it's not crazy at all. And this is something that has been observed by myself and by many others ever since the beginning of the economic crisis in the Southern European countries in the early part of the decade, uh, I recall reading, for instance, uh, newspaper headlines from, let's say, The Telegraph in the UK, one of the big newspapers there, uh, calling uh, Greece and the other Mediterranean countries Club Med, or calling the uh, the Greek economic crisis the Uzo crisis, and then in the same headline calling, referring back to the Mexican economic crisis of 1998 as the tequila crisis. Uh, they came up with this acronym, PIGS, Portugal, Ireland, Italy, Greece, and Spain. And then I've seen headlines saying things like, you can't put lipstick on a pig. So, and, and this goes back even further. When Greece hosted, hosted the Olympic Games in 2004, leading up to the Games, there was a, so much negative reporting about Greece. Well, of course, and its ability it makes no to sense whatsoever that Greece would host the Olympics. That's part no, of why. Yeah. Where did that come from? Well, that's a different issue okay. altogether. But from the point, of course, fr fr from the point 
that Greece did actually take on the games. Yeah. What was being heard was this completely absurd statements like that Athens was a hotbed of terrorism or that none of the facilities would be completed. And yeah, there were many problems that surfaced after the games as far as the finances in particular. But uh, the claims that were being made weren't even about Greece's financial capabilities to hold the games. They were about the competence of the Greek people to organize such an event. And we've seen that again with the crisis. And we see that now with statements like the one I referred to a moment ago by uh, Carl Bildt. Well, the, the thing about, that I recall is, you know, during the Greek financial crisis, it was pretty much universally, you know, argued that the reason was because the Greeks were, you know, they, they, they were unable to handle their own finances, they were irresponsible, they were profligate spenders, blah, 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 blah. And then a couple of years later, we start realizing that country after country is kind of falling at the hands of the German and Austrian banks. And we start to realize that what was going on, it was, the, it was an early indicator to other countries in the EU that basically the big German banks were the Wall Street of Europe and they were going in pillaging, plundering and leaving people broke like the Wall Street, like the Wall Street but, of New York does. And the reason I bring up this rivalry that I noticed is it seems it's, it's a, a way of and that pigs thing you talk about is a perfect example. It's a way of dehumanizing entire countries. And to say basically, yes. well, they deserve it. it, it does that make sense? Yeah. It, it does make sense, and it, it is also happening at a domestic level in Greece. I mentioned before the, the statements being made by government ministers that the people are at fault. This is nothing new in Greece either. Greek politicians, and this government, the current government is no exception, are and the Greek media as well, and also many Greek academics and intellectuals are very good at laying collective guilt and collective blame on the Greek populace, saying, well, you lived beyond your means, you were corrupt, you were asking politicians for favors, therefore everything that's happened in Greece, whether it's the fires or the economic crisis, is actually your fault. There was a government minister in 2010 uh, by the name of Theodoros Pangalos, who had said at the time, we ate it all together, implying that the financial mismanagement was universal in Greece and not just the government's fault. So there's this collective guilt going on. I do want, however, since I see time's running out, just to mention something that I think is very important and I neglected to mention it earlier. The defense minister of Greece, Panos Kamenos, gave an interview to the BBC where he repeated a lot of this collective guilt nonsense, but he also said something else that has geopolitical implications. He claimed that Greek troops were not mobilized immediately to go and to participate in the, the, the rescue efforts during the fires because NATO did not give permission for the troops to be mobilized. So this obviously begs some very serious questions. You know, does NATO actually have the right to tell the government not to mobilize its troops domestically to help its own population? Is this claim even true or not? Is Kamenos lying, right. which would be terrible? Well, well, or unfortunately, is he we're, we're up against truth. We're, we're up against a hard break. Uh, where can people go to find your information, find your stuff? Well, I will be printing an article soon in mintpressnews.com about the, uh, the the fires and the aftermaths. And I also have Dialogos Media, D-I-A-L-O-G-O-S media.org. Thanks, Dr. Michael Neverdakis. We got two more hours coming up, Garland. It's time for the news with Garland next. You're listening to Fault Lines with Nixon and Stranahan. <laughs> 